are back. Warp and Move Radio, Radio Next.TV at the Cool Brews site. We come to you here on Wednesdays from 11 to 11.50. And every week we share with you a new guest from in and around Indianapolis, folks who are doing good based on our tagline from Titus 3, 1, 8, and 14. Do good, do good, do good. So that's the focus of our radio show. We cross three bridges at Comenius. You can see the stand up behind me. Uh, that's who sponsors our show. Comenius Institute crosses three bridges. The first is into college. And what we do at college is actually engage Christian young people, helping them to think Christianly about their disciplines, their subject areas, the classes they're, they're invested in. And also uh, I teach there with a great uh, group of faculty on the campus. Uh, but would be happy to talk with you about uh, the kinds of things that are going on on the campus of IEPY. In fact, I would be remiss if I didn't mention this, that tomorrow night uh, we, we will be hearing from Nancy Fitzgerald, who is a renowned uh, golf player, but who uh, basically has uh, given uh, up a lot in that particular venue of life so as to uh, pursue an apologetics ministry. So you'll be hearing about that. Students will at IEPY tomorrow night at 7 o'clock on the campus on the first floor of the campus center. And then the second bridge we cross is into community, which is what we're doing right now. And uh, we ha invite folks from around Indianapolis, uh, Christians who are doing good, and tell us about the kind of good work that they're doing. And then the third bridge that we cross is into culture. And uh, this comes in lots of different ways. We do uh, Truth and Two that comes out, a video that comes out every uh, Tuesday morning. We're always grateful for the opportunity to invest in uh, all kinds of different uh, cultural venues. Uh, this month, of course, Black History Month, uh, just yesterday we put out uh, a piece on Michelle Obama uh, and her response to folks getting upset with Ellen DeGeneres and George W. Bush actually talking with each other. Imagine that. So you can check those kinds of things out at warpandwoof.org. That's W-A-R-P-A-N-D-W-O-O-F.org. Or go to cominiusinstitute.org or .com. But today, we have the great privilege to have Kamish Nunley here with us from Kamish Speaks, among many other different titles that we were even talking about this morning. Kamish, thanks for being here on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for bringing me back. I really yeah. appreciate it. It's really nice uh, to see friendly faces again. And uh, I know that your work is expanding, but let's start with bio first. Uh, tell us something about your life and introduce yourself to folks. Hello, everyone. I'm Commissioner Emily. I am a licensed mental health counselor, um, as well as a certified trauma specialist. Majority of my work revolves around providing psychotherapy services and training services to different local community organizations in the areas of mental health. Um, and so what I specialize in uh, with the area of trauma is providing trauma-informed care uh, for individuals, couples, families, or anything under that umbrella. Mm -hmm. uh, currently, we've taken on a new venture uh, with our mental health ministry, where we take our services into the church at a very affordable rate mm -hmm. to offer high-end services to clients that would otherwise be unable to afford those types of services. So. Uh, that's what we're currently doing at the moment. We also have a spinoff of sorts um, where we've just delved into uh, working with pastors um, who undergo insurmountable levels of stress. Um, and as a result of stress, sometimes anxiety and depression. Mm -hmm. And so we've built in a feature that also catches them uh, in order to prevent things like burnout mm -hmm. um, or even suicidality in more extreme mm -hmm. situations. So 
that's who I am. That's yeah. what I do. So um, you got to give a little love to the man. Uh, tell some, Tell us about your husband. My husband, oh, my amazing rock. <laughs> um, See, that's why I wanted her to say something. <laughs> he is just above all. I call him Bay. Beyond anything else, he is a principal at Grind Creek uh, Middle School, and it is something that he is very passionate about in terms of changing the lives of children. So he gets them when they're young, yep. I get them when they're old. There you so, go, that's yeah. good. And what church do you attend? Uh, Light of the World Christian Church, occasionally. I also am a member of ANWA uh, in Chicago, and I live stream with Dr. Matthew Stevenson. Okay, very good. So a uh, very powerful ministry here that you have in Indianapolis, and we wanted to focus specifically today on pastoral burnout because it is uh, really a transitional element for you in the direction that you may be going um, in the future, but that doesn't mean that you're taking yourself away from other things. Okay. Let's start with maybe the most obvious question that everybody might have, which is uh, why do people get burned out? Why do people get burned out? There's a lot of different reasons why people end up burned out, especially um, if they take on careers that involve serving or helping others. Mm -hmm. um, as you probably know, in working with others and helping others, there are oftentimes get created this emotional deficit mm -hmm. where we start doing more for other people than we um, allow ourselves to do for ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so as a result of that and many other components, um, which could be a predisposition uh, issue. Mm -hmm. uh, it could also be, you know, whatever is going on in the world, like disasters, things like that. Coronavirus. Yes, yeah, uh, absolutely. <laughs> I just find that name so funny. Uh -huh. uh, why coronavirus? I don't. Yeah, it's okay. It's yeah, okay. Um, and so anything that is going on in and around the individual who is in that uh, service and field um, is susceptible to burnout, as well as anything that is going on in the household, like if you're taking care of a family member, that can make you more susceptible to burnout. And oftentimes people uh, such as nurses or in-home aides experience burnout as well. So yeah. it's something that um, in the health professions, it's very known about. Mm -hmm. However, uh, the proverbial loop, uh, pastors kind of slip through the loop of that mm -hmm. in terms of having like a way to catch them sure. if they should hit you know, some of these markers that indicate uh, some level burnout. So would you say that, and I, I don't know, I'm just asking, would you say that most pastors are men? Um, that's a very unique question. I think that most visible pastors are men. Okay. So, um, so let's, let's stay with that issue of mm -hmm. uh, the people that are most visible, I think, just generally speaking in the culture may be men. That's not to give short shrift to anyone out there who's listening who may uh, be pastoral, uh, engaged from a woman's point of view. Uh, but what is it about men <laughs> that that we have a tendency to not want to seek help? Absolutely. That's um, a multifaceted question, actually. Um, it, we only it, have 40 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> it's, um, it's difficult, you know, that men grow up with the uh, teachings oftentimes, or even as young boys, that it is not okay to have emotional reactions. Mm -hmm. It is not okay to cry. It's not okay to have too much anger. It's not okay. And so otherwise there's like points taking, taken away from them if uh, they 
slip into that. So they're they're forced into developing this hard exterior mm-hmm. and approach to life. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as they grow up, there is this level of emotional arrestedness or stuntedness um, that prevents them from even being able to give language mm-hmm. to what they're experiencing, let alone go and talk with someone about it. Sure. And then you add in the whole machismo factor. Oh my. Um, because men, you know, divinely uh, so, are in charge of protecting, providing, and giving identity. So to have to surrender under someone and not serve in those three roles is very difficult for uh, the ego, so to speak, to um, grasp a hold of mm-hmm. and, and feel like it would be safe. Okay. So the whole male issue is one that is a whole discussion point mm-hmm. and would take a long time to kind of unpack. Yes. Maybe this is a good time to take, as it were, a commercial break for you and tell people about the kinds of services that you offer. I know that you kind of gave an overview generally at the beginning of our show, but tell folks about the services that uh, that you offer considering what you just said about, uh, well, what I just said about unpacking all of this takes a while. So the services that we currently offer, especially for um, different churches, is that we bring our services into your church and offer you know, counseling on all modalities, uh, individual family, couples, fam- um, group psychotherapy, all of that, as well as we have just ventured into um, offering services specifically for leadership or clergy members in the church and pastor- pastors, um, where we have opened up an area uh, that is safe, non-judgmental, and also confidential. Everyone is required to sign a confidentiality clause um, where pastors can come and just let their hair down and talk about the challenges of ministry work. Mm -hmm. They can talk about, you know, the difficulty of navigating personal life issues as well as maintaining, you know, the projected perfectionism that gets thrown onto them sometimes by congregants. Mm -hmm. Um, they, They can talk through those issues safely and get feedback either from other uh, pastors in the room, but also clinical feedback from myself on how to deal with the level of burden that they feel that they are up under. Um, and so that support group runs for about eight weeks. And then at the end of that eight weeks, it's a prerequisite, I can never say that word, prerequisite, um, to getting into the course, which is a self-paced course. Mm-hmm. and lasts anywhere from 12 weeks to eight months. And what we hope that course will do is allow you to become an advocate of mental health and be able to reach back to other pastors who are struggling as well, provide your own support groups, um, things like that, and just gives you more confidence to speak up and be transparent about your struggle with everything. Because as you know, Jesus revealed his scars, and as a result, other people revealed theirs. And I think Mm -hmm. we have to start from the top in order for um, others to feel safe in reaching out. Um, as well. So that course is 12 weeks to six months, um, hopefully to one day be certified, um, and then they become a member, first shepherd's member, um, where, you know, we're going to be doing conferences, things like that. Okay. So, and just to put a period on this, uh, your website is? Our website is healinghiddenhurtsministries.org. If you cannot locate it, you can also reach out to healingyourhiddenhurts.com. Or commission on Or commission 
Uh, and you're also known on Facebook as Commission Speaks. Commission Speaks, yes. Yeah. So there's all of that. Yes, there is all that. So I also take on um, speaking engagements. This weekend I will be presenting at Second Chance Church, um, where I'll be talking about creating an emotionally healthy leader. Um, because oftentimes when we go into leadership, we look at the uh, physical demands, we look at the uh, personality demands, but we don't consider um, the emotional demands of leadership. And it's not oftentimes included in the dialogue. And so what I've done is I go to different churches and I talk about how to infuse that in the work so that we can prevent things like uh, burnout. Okay. And suicide okay. Yeah. So what got you into all of this? I mean, this is had to have had some kind of spark, some initiative. What was it that got you going? Absolutely. So it was basically the statistic that I started to realize um, where 30% of pastors are leaving ministry work. Um, one in three pastors um, experience burnout mm -hmm. and also thoughts of suicide. And until recently, within the last five or 10 years, we've seen a spiraling of that with a lot of different pastors in the media. Mm -hmm. having committed suicide because of the burdens that they've been under and just feeling isolated and alone. So being that I specialize in this area, I wanted to offer something um, where we could try to catch that mm -hmm. before it hits that level. And um, so that we're no longer losing, you know, good pastors, yeah. good pastoring um, because we don't have language for or ways to deal with the difficulties was the there a was there an incident uh you know that, that you saw personally or is this just a general i've seen a lot of this so i needed to do something about it kind of thing it's so interesting i think when god gives you a cause for cause you take it mm -hmm. um and my cause for cause was realizing the influx of um uh, how many pastors were just coming in on my caseload just for themselves. Mm -hmm. And I prayed and prayed and prayed and did research. And it was at that point um, that I realized that there is a need in this area. I think um, I've been in this field doing this work for 20 years. And I know I don't work that old, or uh, 15 years, but 20 considering school. Um, and I see clients in waves. So one year it'll be all about financial strain. Another year would be all about depression, mm -hmm. you know, so clients come in waves and mm -hmm. I don't believe coincidence, right? Okay. So right. when I started to notice how many pastors were placing themselves on my schedule, I was like, okay, there's obviously some level of deficit here. Um, let me learn about this. Mm -hmm. And we had already ventured into the mental health ministry portion of things. And so I just felt like God was revealing um, more that, you know, needed to be done. Yeah. And this was the more. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, certainly the wave issue is something that uh, we're going to continue to see no matter what, Absolutely. Uh, just because of human sin. Um, the problem, of course, living in a fallen world where whatever may happen is going to happen. Mm -hmm. uh, we can't always be prepared for that. The providences of God and so on. Mm -hmm. So uh, what do you see as the trend that's causing burnout? What would you, how would you address that? So some of the common trends that I most often notice is that our pastors and leaders, when they get so busy doing for Christ instead of being with Christ, mm -hmm. they forget to 
prioritize time, prioritize time with Christ um, and allow themselves to get fed. Um, and so one of the biggest challenges for some of the pastors that I've worked with is prioritizing Sabbath rest. Sabbath rest. Yeah. Keep an eye Take, out for that. Yeah. <laughs> Taking moments where two or three days or even a week, mm-hmm. you're not bogged down by ministry work. Um, you're not overly, you know, thinking what programs you need to put in place for productivity of sorts, mm-hmm. right? Um, but you can just be human and be a congregant yourself, a Christian yourself, uh, a sheep of sorts. Um, so that's one of the heaviest trends that I've noticed is that our pastors, our leaders, really struggle with managing that Sabbath rest, which we all know is very much needed. Um, another one is that they start to, because of the projections that are thrown onto them oftentimes, start to develop unrealistic expectations of themselves. Mm. And so this is the pastor who puts on 50 different hats, serves in every different role, um, has to do everything themselves in terms of doing repasses or funerals, um, you know, uh, holding weddings or meeting someone who's chronically ill at the hospital. And there's no delegation of duty like they're doing it themselves. And they take on this... um, I hate to say Superman quality of just being able to save the world. Right. But as we all know, if you don't secure your mask first, which means having healthy expectations of self um, and not allowing those expectations to determine your worth as well, not tying your ego to outcome, basically, um, then that can help you prevent from experiencing burnout. Um, But it's those unrealistic expectations thinking that you can just you can do it all. Um, and, and a lot of us are gifted with the uh, ability to multitask. Um, however, we have to embrace our God-given limits as well. God's been setting limits since the beginning of time, since he made dark and light. You know, So <laughs> we have to embrace limits that we've been blessed with. And a lot of times we see limitation as a weakness. Oh, yeah. But no, we have limits because we are human. That's right. Yeah. The problem, uh, of course, is that we we basically thumb our nose at the creational mandate given in Genesis 2, 1 to 3 mm. of this Shabbat, the Sabbath, mm. that's literally embedded within creation, you know, seasonal or day-night mm-hmm. uh, or anything like this. So there, even this concept of mitosis, feel free to use this biological oh, example. Please, please. Uh, so when <laughs> I'm taking it all in. Yeah. So oh, when yeah, the... the <laughs> When cells split, uh, mm-hmm. before they split, it's called mitosis, the splitting of cells, uh, the sp- cells literally stop and rest mm-hmm. before they split again. Um, I only know that because I talk to biologists, not because that's my field, by any means. But the, the concept of this Shabbat being literally embedded within the creation of God is huge and important, and we, we ignore it to our peril, and that's why you're here, and that's why we're talking about this today. Absolutely, and, and that just brings me to another trend, is that when we fail to steward mm-hmm. um, appropriately uh, trauma exposure, mm-hmm. so as pastors, as leaders, we're exposed to a heavy amount of traumatic stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and if we don't steward that effectively, um, then we uh, a lot of times can become burned out or even experience what we call carious trauma or secondary traumatization, um, where the parasym- 
now you got to say it for parasympathetic and the sympathetic systems fail to flow naturally, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so it creates some level of upheaval uh, or hyperarousal in us where it's never really given any room to calm mm -hmm. and you're never given any room to self-soothe. And so you're in hyperdrive a lot of the time, which you can only go and anybody knows that it is not something that is sustainable. Mm -hmm. You know, okay. um, we have to be willing to slow down. We have to be willing to uh, use your word. Uh, my my say it again. Oh, mitosis. Mitosis. Yeah. We have to be willing to embrace. Yeah. The rest like before the sun yes. splits. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Well, speaking of slowing down, we have to take a break. Okay. Uh, but we are not going to take a break. Uh, <laughs> Because, because we're having some technical difficulties. So we're just actually going to go straight through. Okay. And uh, and then uh, folks that are with us there, thanks for being with us. I see all these green lines over on both screens. Uh, HP's got Facebook Live up. Uh, so that's really great. Thanks all for being with us. And feel free to shoot, uh, shoot uh, the, us a question if you have one. Uh, feel free to do that. Uh, but we'll just continue. Go ahead. Can I want you to mention one more? Please. Um, yeah. Another trend that I'm noticing is that when we take on all these different responsibilities, um, we have a propensity where numbing becomes very seductive to us. Oh. Numbing emotions. Yeah. Um, numbing ourselves to situations. Mm -hmm. um, it's something that I experienced early on in my career when I worked with um, level four or five uh, offenders at Newcastle Correctional Facility or Wabash Valley Correctional Facility. Um, where I would hear horrible, horrific stories. And my job, in essence, was to give hope to people who had 60 and 120 years behind bars, right? You sell hope mm -hmm. to someone um, until, and, and so that led me on a path to burning out because I became highly desensitized to those stories. Mm -hmm. And that desensitization didn't leave room to feel the emotion, mm -hmm. to feel the connecting feelings. And so I would start to numb. So I have to ask this question because as soon as you mentioned this, I'm thinking to myself, so uh, I am addicted to the legal white powder, which is sugar. Oh, so, <laughs> I like, wait, yeah, that yeah, I know, I know, HB is over that. there holding his heart, yeah, he's saying, <laughs> what is going on in four years? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, yes, yeah, so the addiction is real, Yes. Uh, and I say it that way just to get people's and I'm a recovering addict as well. Yes, there you uh -huh. go, see? So those of us who appreciate the issue of sugar also get into the whole issue of comfort food. So I'm asking the question as it relates to your, your saying, we numb ourselves. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about comfort food, mm -hmm. is that a number? It is a number. <laughs> it okay. is a number. Um, pain pain um, is very unique. It seeks out comfort in just about anything. Mm -hmm. um, and so when we're in painful situations, we'll do whatever it takes to feel like we can self-regulate um, and return ourselves to homeostasis, right? So we do, we, we do the food, we do um, spending habits, oh. we do gambling, some of us delve into sexual pornography, substance abuse. So it really is um, how we follow the line of pain in our lives and where it leads us. Mm -hmm. um, but yes, eating is definitely a way to numb yourself from the brunt of the pain. Mm -hmm. Yeah, just because it's something different, something else, something that takes our mind off it. it because distracts. it tastes good, 
Yes. I mean, there's a lot to be said for oh, taste buds, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. Um, and sugar is an addictive substance. Yeah. I mean, recent studies have uncovered how it's even more so addictive than that of cocaine. Mm -hmm. So um, I know sometimes I used to um, run a substance abuse or chemical dependency group, um, and they would laugh at me when I would compare my addiction mm -hmm. to their addiction. Right. Um, and they would say, how dare you come in here and talk about your addiction to m and mm -hmm. I'm like, well, it seems like it's um, haphazard and it doesn't relate until you consider the uh, level of disease that runs in my family, which revolves around diabetes, cancer, and all of that. So while yours may be a quicker road to death, right, mine is nonetheless more hard. I mean, even as hard Even as, yeah, absolutely, right? yeah. Um, it's just slower. Yeah. So <laughs> absolutely, sugar is a way to numb, and I'm sure if you had a neuroscientist or someone mm -hmm. who was in biology, they could talk to you about the effects of sugar and yeah. how it gives us that quick elevation, but then it you know, takes us down. And so if we're already um, pre-exposed to having depression, mm -hmm. it just uh, recycles those depressive episodes. It fascinates me. This is uh, maybe tangential, but maybe even something to bring up in the future mm -hmm. as you talk about it, issues uh, of addiction and how it actually impacts us in this whole discussion that we're having here about burnout, that um, it is true in an economic political sense that in the 1960s, uh, the sugar industry actually got ahead of this by suggesting that the real problem was fat and food. You must have been watching What the Health. So. <laughs> the documentary that okay. I recently watched that had that information. It was yeah. a book, but yeah, <laughs> okay. no, same, same information, yeah. But that's very important to recognize, and, and that really kind of brings us to this to this point where we say we need to recognize that sometimes the problems that we face, yes, we have bare personal responsibility. By the way, I'm looking at the camera here and saying we're not suggesting that anybody doesn't bear personal responsibility. That's oh, not absolutely. at all the point. Uh, but when you become part of a cultural phenomenon, let's say, for instance, of the sugar industry in, in, this, in this case, um, there is a continual carryover into personal lives. And so, yeah, we bear responsibility, but at the same time, we're recognizing that uh, there are other powers at, at stake here. Mm -hmm. play, yeah. So uh, let's talk about what that might mean in terms of symptoms. Mm -hmm. you know, we've been talking about the burnout issue mm -hmm. and uh, how this impacts pastors. And, you know, we could, we could pretty much identify any group. Yeah. But... Uh, what do you see as symptoms of this? The symptoms of, so we can refer to it as vicarious trauma, burnout, secondary trauma, but it's all revolving around the same concept uh, where we tend to accumulate um, trauma over time. Uh, Matsu Khan came out with a theory uh, on cumulative trauma where he talks about subtle traumas over time if undealt with or unhealed surmount to one big trauma. Mm. Um, and therein you have compassion fatigue, um, vicarious traumatization, secondary traumatization. Um, but the symptoms basically look the same. Mm. Uh, and so in my book, I dubbed the term, well, I didn't dub it, but I used the term uh, leadership pain mm. to describe what the symptoms look like. And so the primary symptom itself is um, 
recognizing that you don't do leadership the same uh, as you previous did. And in fact, it's you're much more apprehensive mm -hmm. in your approach to leadership where you have difficulty trusting other people. Um, you have a healthy amount of cognitive dissonance, mm -hmm. which leads to a lot of guilt and shame. Tell, tell folks what cognitive dissonance um, is. So cognitive dissonance is like um, a dialectic. It's where you hold two opposing viewpoints. Um, and you grab a hold to one that may be maladaptive because it's comfortable and familiar. Mm -hmm. um, and instead of changing over to the more healthier version, you stick with what's comfortable and familiar. And so um, it's where you've been doing things one way and you're privy to new information, um, but you won't take that new information on. And instead, you continue to do um, right. the way that you've been doing things. Because which it's easier. Is because it's easier. Yeah. Um, because it's conditioned. Mm -hmm. um, because we don't have resource. You know, yeah. There's a lot of reasons. Yeah. Um, however, you continue along that pattern long enough, you build up cycles of guilt, shame, and blame. And guilt and shame are two of the most powerful emotions that you could ever feel, right? They are the substratum of a multitude of dis-ease and disorder. Mm -hmm. um, and so if you subject your brain to guilt and shame on a regular basis through cognitive dissonance or anything else, um, there is a stronger likelihood that you would develop a, a mental health disorder. Mm -hmm. Depression, anxiety, post-traumatic stress disorder, more, more chronic, or even per pervasive personality deficits mm -hmm. um, over time. So some of the other, um, did that explain it well enough? Oh, absolutely, okay. yeah. Uh, some of the other symptoms are deeply seated emotional wounds that you bring to the table prior to, uh, like mother and father wounds, or having what in the spiritual world are called um, orphan spirits or slavery mindsets, um, and a constant need for validation and difficulty in social and family relationships. So that's how I point it in my book. However, um, the cycle of exposure which was um, created by, I cannot remember her name, just because it's a, it's a unique name, but I know the book. It's called Steward, Stewarding Trauma, mm. or Trauma Stewardship, I believe. Um, but she had created a cycle um, of symptoms that you notice when you're up under trauma or um, experiencing some level of burnout. And so just to go through that list really quickly, mm -hmm. is that okay? Sure, go ahead. Um, yeah. Where you experience a level of helplessness, hopelessness, or you become hyper vigilant, so hyper aware of your surroundings. Mm -hmm. um, you experience a diminished level of creativity and just feel kind of stuck yeah. in moving forward. Mm -hmm. um, an inability to embrace complexity just because your mind is unable to process cognitions well, and so you're more sensory motor oriented, which is kind of returning to those early years in life where you know touch, taste, yeah. see, feel was how you describe the world. Right. Um, Minimizing of your circumstances and their impacts on you. Um, chronic exhaustion, so your soul, your spirit, your body is just tired and you are through. Um, and then deliberate avoidance, uh -huh. where that's where you know people don't want to feel the feelings. Yeah. Um, so they over medicate or they delve into those comforts. Or um, they just traverse and, and go right over the problem. Yes. Because they don't want to deal with it. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. yeah. Absolutely. Uh, dissociative moments where you kind of detach from self. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like you're watching yourself on a movie screen, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Or you're having a lot of flashbacks that yeah. are coming 
to present day in the form of intrusive thoughts mm -hmm. and memories. Mm -hmm. um, a sense of persecution, feeling like everyone is kind of out to get you. Um, and so as a result, you respond with irritability. Um, anger to the point where you project your issues onto other people um, instead of dealing with them internally. And then a level of cynicism mm -hmm. that comes along with that. That's always fun. Yeah. Um, guilt and fear. Numbing, we talked about addictions and grandiosity, where our identity is tied to outcome. Okay, does that make sense? Yeah. Um, yeah. And then last, um, dogma and self righteousness. So, I mean, sure. literally, those last two <laughs> read those last two again, real quick dogma please. and self righteousness. Yeah, but the one before it as well, uh, grandiosity and where your identity is tied to the outcome. Yeah, so those things right there, I mean, those speak to so many leaders. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the idea that somehow if I don't produce results, if I don't have numbers, if I don't have quantitative analysis, mm -hmm. then, you know, in some way I'm a failure or I lose my job or, you know, people think less of me. Or, or, or. You know, let's be honest, we live in a quantitative world. Awesome. Uh, we do not, even though we live in a world of stories, which mm -hmm. ought to take presidents, mm -hmm. quite frankly, and this is what I'm always telling my students that they need to tell stories. Uh, this is really powerful and important. So it's re relate to stories. Yeah, everybody does. 40% mm -hmm. of the Bible is story. Yeah. So there's a reason why, you know, we should tie into this, which mm -hmm. then leads me to say about 40% of the Bible is also poetry. So, you know, there's the reason for rap, you know, if nothing else. <laughs> Uh, those kinds of things are, are, are important to, to acknowledge. And let me just give you an example of this. So, and see if I'm not tracking with you and see if everybody else will track with you in this way. Uh, so I tell people I grew up in a AAA household. Uh, my father was an adulterous, abusive alcoholic. So uh, because of that, one of the things that I deal with is avoidance. So that's why I kind of immediately, you know, my eyes went wide when you said that because if I can in any way avoid conflict mm -hmm. oh my i am stepping off and away mm -hmm. uh, so i see that in myself um what are you know we just you went through some of the symptoms mm -hmm. okay so now let's you, you can talk to me or yes. talk to anybody about whatever problem they may be facing in this sense of things okay how are we going to reconcile this how could we reduce it how could we not avoid it, but take it on and say, I've got this problem and therefore I need to move in this direction. Um, one of the most important ways, if you notice some of these becoming a part of your um, daily um, way of approaching life or even in your interactions with others, is to prioritize um, self-care. And that's where I run into some pushback, um, just because I don't know, somewhere along the continuum, um, people started to believe that self-care was selfish and as you and I know um, self-care is absolutely necessary if we want to be able to help others yeah. um, and God is calling us to uh, love our neighbor as ourselves which requires us to love ourselves so there has to be a degree of self-love in there I'm sure you've heard this many times over um, but we live by that philosophy in the work that I do and helping people understand the difference between uh, selfishness and self-care. So let's pause and say mm -hmm. one of the things that is true about uh, life is that, 
and specifically Christianity is it's other centered religion. The problem, of course, is not that we don't have enough love of self. We already love ourselves. Yes. So, you know, Paul says this in Ephesians chapter five. But the problem is, is that we don't, it seems, take the time or to identify or intentionalize that Sabbath rest. Yeah. That, and maybe if we could, you know, make it for church folk in this way, we could say maybe if you're having trouble with the phrase self-care, you can just talk about it as Sabbath rest. Even the yeah. Son of God needed a way to yeah. get away to pray yeah, and he away from people. Let me get away. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And and honestly, not a lot of people. Uh, practice self-care because they don't self-love, mm -hmm. um, meaning that they don't see their inherent worth. They don't see no. um, all those things that we see in them. Right. Um, we recognize their gifts. Mm -hmm. We give them accolades. But sometimes it just kind of goes to this um, um, perceived version of humility, yeah. uh, which ends up looking becoming very uh, false yeah. in, in the realm of things. So not all of us have that ability to have self-love mm -hmm. or love ourselves. Um, and some of us love ourselves, but in a very unhealthy practice <coughs> where we boast in our accolades or we boast in our accomplishments instead yeah. of understanding that our work requires us to boast more so in our weakness. So there is maybe the defense mechanism. Absolutely. So for me, it might be avoidance. For somebody else, it might be puffing themselves up up um, for others it's um, again going back to that attaching your self-worth to what you do and so far as that becomes your identity mm -hmm. which is very unhealthy because if you externalize your identity and it's not coming from it within then it's going to change and sway with the wind mm -hmm. if your identity is tied to the applause when the applause goes away what happens to your identity yeah so in that sense of things, let's let's move to maybe what should be uh, the most obvious issue, and that is the need for community. The need for community. I mean, we're social creatures. Mm -hmm. um, God created us to be social creatures. Um, and to me, it's one of the reasons why there is the church. Um, and you probably know the biblical basis of that. Um, but when we, uh, the fabric of our being is love and belonging. Mm -hmm. And when we don't feel like we belong, but instead we're trying to fit in, it creates crevices of um, dysfunction in us where we start to take on this idea of not being worthy of, right. or having to be a chameleon or not, almost like self-hatred. Mm -hmm. So, so yeah, we have to be very careful to, you know, navigate that very um, carefully in so far as understanding First, we need to start with healthy identity. So from a Hebraic Christian point of view, uh, the biblical base would be we start with the fact that everybody's made in God's image. Yes. And then we move from there to recognize that God has given us task in this life mm -hmm. in Genesis 2, 5, 7, and 15. That You even mentioned this mm -hmm. earlier, uh, that men and women are given the responsibility to provide from and protect yes. that which has been given to us. And we've all been given a stewardship of something. Mm -hmm. So even in this radio show, you know, HB's been given the stewardship of Radio Next for eight plus years now. Mm -hmm. And so that's his baby. But mm -hmm. we all bear the responsibility of stewardship in some way or another. But now to this point, the relational point mm -hmm. is from uh, God's creation of men and women. Mm -hmm. So he made us to be relational. And that's a, a 
huge issue. I mean, if you look at the Bible for its context, it's all about reconciliation to God, mm -hmm. reconciliation to self, and reconciliation to others. Mm -hmm. I mean, you walk through every book in the Bible is just about, and it's talking about relationship and sense mm -hmm. and being able to reconcile. Yes. Too. Does that make sense? Oh, so it plays a huge role. Sounds like you're writing a book or something. Uh, yes, <laughs> I am writing a book. Tell people what the title is, by uh, the way. So it's called Self-Care as an Extension of Ministry. Um, based upon the work that I've done over the last five years in the church mm -hmm. and some things that we've uncovered and giving pastors and leadership a um, guide of sorts mm -hmm. of when they start to feel this way and what are some practical strategies that I should sure. use and what are some realistic ways where I can embrace health and transparency, emotional health and transparency so that I can grow myself while ministry grows, mm -hmm. right? One of the things that strikes me as we, you know, we're having this conversation over all of these moments is the need for Christians to think in interdisciplinary ways. Absolutely. Seeing things come together. Every other field does it. Yeah. The health field does it. Um, we all bring ourselves together collectively so that we can learn from one another. And until recently, of course, it's been around for, for centuries. Um, but until recently, now it's okay to start to integrate, if we move beyond stigma, the practices of theology and the principles of psychology, yeah. or vice versa, yeah. um, which is my tagline. Commission okay. speaks integrating theological practices, I'm sorry, principles with psychological practices. Mm -hmm. So um, it's just now being upheld and embraced yeah. by um, many in the uh, spiritual disciplines. I I wish the flip of that were true at the public university. Yeah. That the public university would recognize the need for a chaplain. And that not just the students need chaplains, frankly, but the faculty need chaplains. Let me tell you, the faculty need chaplains. Oh, and it's huge. So I spend lots of time interacting with people over great, huge difficulties and questions. Mm -hmm. you know, I spent two hours with somebody a couple of weeks ago. We were I, I locked for about two hours. And, you know, it ended up in tears and they weren't mine and you know the difficulties that everybody faces no matter what field you're in doesn't matter whatever vocation you're in uh, you know commission only is somebody that you need to know about and, and uh, make sure that you contact uh, for everything all of the services that she can provide um, just before we go and we just have a couple minutes here to, uh, to kind of wrap this up why don't you uh, tell people maybe in 30 seconds 60 seconds 90 seconds whatever However you want to kind of close this out, you know, let people know what it is in a nutshell doing and then how they can uh, be benefited by it. Absolutely. One of the things that I'll leave is understanding um, a significant quote uh, that I uh, sort of base my practice on is, you know, um, there's beauty in uh, the understanding that as human beings, we all experience some level of pain. Mm -hmm. And there's always an equal measure of pain and pleasure, good and bad. Um, and what's important is that we embrace in those moments um, the lessons that it has to teach us instead of dwelling on the fact that we're in the painful situation. And when we find ourselves in those painful situations or experiencing those negative events, careful not to isolate yourself and uh, set yourself apart um, because that leaves room for the enemy of sorts to attack 
and get you on his playing ground versus reaching out for our services, which is that of counseling, coaching, um, spiritual advocacy, mm -hmm. um, getting surrounded with a group of peers who are experiencing some of the same things so that we can help you come out of the darkness. Mm -hmm. There is no shame in vulnerability. In fact, it's the opposite that is true. Vulnerability is just a gateway to our greatest strengths. Mm -hmm. So if we're not willing to shed light in the dark areas, how can we expect God to work through people? Because that's how, you know, he sends his help. He works through people to, in order to reach out to help you. Yeah. Um, and so uh, some of the things that I'm doing is I'm traveling, um, providing uh telehealth therapy, virtual therapy, um, and doing uh, educational seminars surrounding uh, this topic. And um, of course, working on the book, meeting with pastors, meeting mm -hmm. with churches that are interested in bringing our company in to you know, set up a mental health ministry. Um, and just all in all, letting people know that transparency is okay. Mm -hmm. um, if you haven't gotten to a point where you are emotionally healthy, that's okay too because there has to be a starting point. Um, so just giving people a safe place to go uh, further in and deeper about anything that they're experiencing in a safe, non-judgmental way um, is is helpful, um, and it's something that I uh, enjoy experiencing with different different sorts of Great. So. One more time, uh, the website. Healingyourhiddenhurts.com or healinghiddenhurtsministries.org. There you go. Yes. Or you can look up Commission Unley on Facebook, social media. Uh, she's there. Uh, you'll notice any kind, all kinds of different folks that are invested in these kinds of things that, mm -hmm. uh, that she's ministered uh, in their lives too. Thanks so much for joining us here today. We're grateful to be with you for Harold H.B. Bell, the producer and owner of mm -hmm. the UNX. And we're also grateful for Josh Collingwood and his good work and the digitization that he does behind the scenes, HB loves it when I say that word. All of that stuff, he takes care of our websites, we're grateful. And we're gonna take off next week. I actually have a week where I need to spend some time with other ministry leaders here in Indianapolis, so no broadcast next week, but we will be back in March, and we're gonna kick it off Women's History Month in March, and we are going to have somebody on the show that everybody needs to know more about and she's a leader herself, and it's going to be great uh, to have her on. Uh, looking forward to the opportunity to uh, do some more work here in and around Indianapolis. Until that time, you've been listening to Warp and Roof Radio, RadioNext.tv at the Cool Groove site. We'll see you on March 5th. Thanks for being with us. Awesome. Thank yeah. you, sir. You're welcome. That was good. Um, do you know about the... Uh,